0: We are in the book of Hebrews. We are working through Hebrews. So we are in chapter 8 this week. Um, I was going to do 8 and 9 like your bulletin said, but the bulletin is now lying because I'm not doing two chapters. I'm just doing one chapter. So... We're going to look at the whole chapter 8 this morning. So here's the, kind of the challenge in the next few chapters, okay? We'll kind of maybe do like a chapter a week until we get to the a really fun kind of chapters 11, 12, and 13, which gets really practical and some amazing stuff listed. But, um, you know, so a few months ago, I took my daughter to, to New York City. She's in this room somewhere probably. And so, oh, there she is. Nobody can see her. She's waving. Hello. And we went to a Broadway play. And so I just, uh, you know, I, this, is my, this is the second time we've done this. We had the cheap seats this time, and so, you know, if you walk into a Broadway play, like, or just a play, whatever, halfway through, okay, you show up like after the intermission. What are the chances you'll know what's going on? Right, you can be really confused. Um, that's kind of partly what could happen here in the Book of Hebrews. And so, the Bible's a big book, okay. Um, It's not even like halfway through, you know, because there's at the very kind of core, you know, knowledge of Scripture here. It's divided up into two sections. The Old Testament, I like to call it the First Testament because it's not really old as if like it's not important. It's pretty important, you know, that we read it. Uh, The Old Testament, the First Testament, and then the Second Testament, the New Testament. And uh, here's how it looks if you were to hold it up. Like the Old is a lot bigger than the New. Um, If you just read the New Testament... That's kind of like walking in at intermission at a Broadway play or, you know, like what I do in my house. When my kids watch a movie and I'm absent because I don't really, you know, watch movies much, but I come in halfway through and say they're watching The Lion King and I, I do this and they hate it. I'm like, okay, so what's going on? Why did Simba murder his father? Why did that happen? Uh, you know, oh, so Scar's a good guy and Simba's the bad guy. Oh, Simba's dad murdered Simba. Like what? And I'm just like messing around with them as if I have no idea what's going on, and they're just like, Dad, it's not funny anymore. Please stop. But you know, like truthfully, if you walk in a movie halfway, a play halfway, like. You're going to be confused. And so, if you only read the New Testament and it starts talking about things that are found in the Old Testament, you'd be like, I'm immediately lost. I have no idea what's going on. The Old Testament is a bit of difficult reading, it may not be easy to dig into often. But if you're not familiar with it, the book of Hebrews can be a little challenging. But nevertheless, this morning I hope to equip you guys with what you need to kind of grasp what is going on this morning. So, just a sum of things if, you, if there's one thing to take away from this whole sermon series and even this sermon this morning, it is this Jesus is better. Let me hear you say it Jesus is better. He's better. He's greater. He's a superior one. If you understand that, it's gonna help kind of be your compass throughout our time this morning. So, in the first step of our journey this morning, kind of connected with last week, if you remember, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. He's a part of this special priesthood after this guy, this mysterious kind of figure named Melchizedek. And if you need a refresher on that, go listen to last Weeks' sermon. And so it kind of launches on those thoughts. It puts us here in chapter 8, leaving saying, Christ is our sure and steady anchor in which our hope never fails because he is the one, this eternal priest who is the yes and amen of all of God's promises. And so chapter 8 begins kind of with a summary statement, okay? So, so, you know, when I say like, are you guys awake? Wake up, here we go. Here's the summary thing. This is what the, the author here of this book is doing. The point. Of, all of what we are saying, this is on page 1188 in your Bibles, chapter 8. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord and not by man. That's a summary statement so far. That he is at the right hand of the Father, and he's serving in the sanctuary, but a sanctuary, a tabernacle built by God, and not by man. So what is going on there? We're going to have to unpack all of this. He starts doing that here in verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer, verse 3, both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for the one also to have some for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. So I have a little picture for those of you who are visual learners a picture of what the tabernacle looked like in the time of Moses. So we're we're rewinding many centuries before Christ in the Old Testament, uh, specifically in the book of Exodus. Um, This is what the tabernacle kind of looked like. Okay, it was a mobile tent. In it was the very presence of God. But you can see there's like an entry door. I don't have one of the inside of that tabernacle. But we talked about that veil that um, covered, separated, where God's presence was. The holy of holies from the inner room, which is a holy place. And even that was kind of separated from the outer courts. There's all these kind of separations before you get to God. But you can't just walk in where God's presence was, right? And there's different duties that were going on the priest had, different sacrifices that had to be tended to, because people had to come to worship God, to offer sacrifices for their, um, for their own sins. But also the priests, that's what he's trying to point out here, every priest had to do the same thing. Like they had to offer both gifts and sacrifices too. So if Jesus was a priest, just like these, but in the different family of this Melchizedek guy, which was probably Jesus before he was a baby, but that's a different sermon for a different day. Um, he also needed a gift. What was his gift? Well, the gift was himself. He brought himself as the sacrifice. He brought himself as the gift this is important to understand. He himself is a sacrifice that opened up the access to God. That's what makes him the best priest because his sacrifice was sinless, himself, without blemish, perfectly holy, always living in the will of God. And all this was done on our behalf. He brought himself as a sacrifice, as his gift which burst open access to God. Now, he, he kind of goes further. Verse five here, it says, they serve at the sanctuary because it didn't just end there. Jesus didn't just bring himself as a sacrifice. There's more happened in verse five. They serve at the sanctuary. That is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So he's writing this. There's now a, a temple that was still standing when the author wrote this book of Hebrews. So he's kind of talking about that temple in Jerusalem, which was like a later, you know, manifestation of that, that mobile tabernacle. These priests are still serving, he says, at the sanctuary, at the temple, at this tabernacle they serve there. But this is just a copy And a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. Quoting the book of Exodus. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is found on better promises. Let's work through all of this stuff. It gets very interesting. This comes out of um, this, this idea of, of the earthly tabernacle being a copy of something in heaven. Exodus 25, this is when Moses was on Mount Sinai. He was getting the law from God. He was getting directions on how to build this tabernacle, so it reads just like this. As God is speaking to Moses in verse 8 of chapter 25 in Exodus, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of this tabernacle, and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So at the library in uh, Ellesmere, they allow you to take board games home. Like you can borrow board games, which as a family of eight, it's like sweet, like free, cool. We're, we're down for that, right? And so we take a board game home. This was the first effort at this, which we should have learned. You know, so you take these board games home and the ones that are like for the older kids are more complicated. So there's like 496 pieces in some of these board games, They're all numbered and baggied, so when you return it, they, you know, don't lose things. And being a family eight, the older kids enjoy some of this stuff, but little kids think, like, oh, this is like another toy, you know? Like, so Risk, for example, has a lot of little guys that are game pieces, but for little ones, these are, you know, G.I. Joe army men that they get to play war with. And so they would sneak the game down and, you know, with the pieces, and there's, like, hundreds of these and so as we're, you know, we're getting to return it, we have to go do the walk of shame, which we've done this like three or four times now, and say, here's the game back. The bag with 72 pieces has, I think, 68. The bag supposed to have 53 has like 57, I don't know, extra pieces. The bag that has 42 has 35, I don't know. And then we get to purchase the incomplete game as a reward for our labors. But now, this is like multiple occurrences. We finally learned our lesson. Like, sorry kids, no more board games. But now they have a 3D printing machine, which amazingly appeared after our third effort of doing this, that prints missing pieces. Right? It's really cool. You can go to the Ellesmere Library and look at it. I'm kind of new to the whole 3D printing thing. They can take, take like a masterpiece, and it copies it. Just like, whoop, comes out in like an hour, and you have the missing pieces. They probably bought this to, you know, fix... To help us get more games, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't ask. But that's kind of like what's going on with this tabernacle. Like the, the 3D printing machine, you can go and touch the things that it makes. Like it's not quite like the original, you know? It's a copy of the original. It kind of looks like it. doesn't quite feel like it. It's not quite the real thing. It's not the master copy, right? So when we think of this temple and tabernacle, what the author is actually pointing us towards is saying what makes Jesus so superior is that he's in the real deal. Like he's serving as a priest in the real tabernacle, not the copy that came off the 3D printing machine here on earth, right? It's like the real thing, but it's in heaven. And he's serving there right now like this minute he is serving there so let's talk about this idea of covenants because the old covenant had this tabernacle but there's a new covenant ministry of Jesus that he's doing at the real deal in the real temple in heaven so let's talk about covenants because that just surfaced the old covenant was based around this copy if you will based around this this copy this tabernacle and these laws that were given so when's the last time anybody made a covenant like, we don't really use that word, right? Probably last year you never uttered, like, I made a covenant yesterday to somebody. Like, that isn't, it's out of our vocabulary. So how do we define this word covenant? Um, think of, like, a, a, um, a an agreement between parties, maybe, like, a contract between two people. And I think a, a great word would be partnership that, that kind of really gets at the essence of when the Bible uses the word covenant. There's, like, a... It's based after ancient Near Eastern uh, covenants, which are kind of partnerships between kings and their, and their people, and so a different nerd wormhole for a different day. But there's like a partnership that was common that was found in these ancient worlds that God communicated himself through, and he kind of shook hands, if you will, with Moses and all of Israel on Mount Sinai, so that we're entering into a covenant, Now, this partnership God made with Israel was one that if they kept the covenant, they would be in this relationship with God. He would bless them. They, in turn, would represent him and his rule among the nations and would be a light to the nations. God told Abraham, your family will be a blessing to all families in this world, and that was their job, and that would happen if the covenant was fulfilled. Even glimpses when it really was happening, like beneath King Solomon, when things were kind of at their peak, all nations were hearing about this God of the Israelites. The covenant was kind of working, but there was a problem because those times were short-lived. Because the people that God kind of shook hands with here, they simply could not maintain the covenant promises. There were 600 plus laws, God be the, with the person who counted all of them, that fill this, this this mosaic law, this old covenant. And they kept breaking them, right? Because we all know there's a, our hearts are just, they're, they're sick, right? None of us are perfect and there's a weakness inside of us All along, God knew this, and even in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16, um, he knew that the laws and all these things, you know, there wasn't just like, make sure you check off the boxes and all will be well. He was always after the transformation of their hearts. You know, circumcision was kind of the sign of the entry into the covenant, and so God uh, speaking in chapter 10 verse 16 of Deuteronomy to his people, he says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. He wanted a new heart among his people. He wanted the transformation inside of his people. Don't be stubborn anymore. Your heart needs to be renewed. But this is a problem. Um, uh, the, the hearts were sick and their hearts needed healing. And all the, the things that took place in the tabernacle, all the sacrifices brought forth. Right? I mean, how many were you going to bring? You know, uh, it would be a daily effort. And so w- there was also, you know, a ceremony called the Day of Atonement that for all the, the, the sin that was whether intentional or unintentional, that had not yet been covered by a sacrifice, one ceremony would kind of deal with all of that. But the problem was, the following year, that needed to happen again. And guess what happened the year after that? That happened again. In other words, even the Day of Atonement never fully satisfied this sin problem among God's people. It never fully fixed the hearts of God's people. Just like that tablet of stone that was written on, his own people's heart were stone, okay? Humans broke this partnership time and time and time again, And if we're honest, like I know that if you're in Christ today, you are a saint. Our identity is not one of sinner, but we still know that, you know, we're still kind of waiting for Christ to come and make all things new, even today. But remember, the tabernacle was ultimately something that was a pattern of the rear, of the real tabernacle that Jesus is serving in right now. Um, And as we dig into that, I just want to kind of share a few pastoral words here. Like there's a I think there's a natural insecurity when it comes to our own relationship with God. You know, um, I, you know, I've been pastoring now for a little over ten years, and one of the most common things that you know when I'm sitting with someone they're coming you know to be ministered to it's it's about this insecurity that, that we we carry. All of us can carry when it comes to our relationship with God, especially in those weaker moments in our life that we kind of become aware of. I just, like, fell on my face in such a way that I'm even shocked at my own sin. And your own weaknesses is kind of just amplified a bit. And you kind of just want a little reassurance to say, like, am, are we sure, like, God still has me here? Like, is, is he still with me? I'm feeling like I, I I can take 20 baths and still not be clean right now. Like, are we sure that he hasn't just... Push me away here. There's an insecurity that comes with our sin, with our own failures, and with our own missteps, right? And, and this old tabernacle will be somewhere that you would have to go to regularly to continue offering these sacrifices. And still, when you get there, God's presence is still kind of hidden behind a veil, a thick, big curtain that is still unreachable. That's the nature of what the old covenant was, it wasn't perfect. It didn't really complete the job. But Jesus, who went to the real tabernacle in heaven and serving there as our eternal priest before God, this difference here is kind of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant that he established. The very new covenant that all these things were always pointing towards anyhow. And this is where the author of Hebrews goes next in quoting a very extensive part of The book of Jeremiah. Many centuries before, this prophet Jeremiah, he was living in a time of of peak wickedness amongst Israel. And enemies surrounded them. The covenant had been just all just demolished. And God said, they have to be in exile. I've been patiently forbearing their sin, but now the time of their punishment has come. And Jeremiah, as he was exercising his prophetic ministry, kind of looked forward, and God speaking through him, beginning of verse seven here, let's see what was said as, as the author of Hebrews quotes it. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant, a new partnership, a new agreement with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand um, and led them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Now this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. And write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, verse 10 is key. It's kind of isolated behind you here. we one more time. This is the covenant, the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. He will put their, his laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. So think of the new covenant like this. Last week, we talked about how in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. The old covenant was between God and humans, and we learned it's really easy to see that humans simply cannot keep this bargain with God because our hearts need a a savior and healing. Now, the new covenant was established. There was a new partnership that was coming between God and his son, Jesus. Not with his people, but with his son. That's why Jesus... At the Last Supper, the night before he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took the juice and said, this is going to be poured out like my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And this is the new covenant, is what Jesus told them. So for any who believe only through Christ then can we be brought into this relationship with God because between God and his son Jesus this covenant was made which burst open that veil like we talked about last week. And so for any then who cast their faith in Christ were ushered into this new covenant on the basis of what Jesus did who atoned for our sins, who pay for it once and for all and you friends have nothing to bring to that table except pleading the blood of Christ. Are you guys tracking me this morning? Like we have access to God, but when we go to God, we say, look, I can only stand here because of what Jesus has done for me. I can only stand here because he's the one who has pulled me out of my muck that I was stuck in. And only he has been, he's the one who paid for my sins. And only because of what he has done, am I here? And God looks and says, yes, because of my son, You are now my child. Pastor and author John Ortberg tells a story, I think they can really describe this well, that occurred back in May 2009. His family was in Azusa, California, because one of their kids was graduating from Azusa Pacific University. His wife, Nancy, was going to speak at the commencement ceremonies, so they were invited to a special gathering of about 50 people people from their graduating class of about 50 years ago and a few faculty members and here's how he tells the story. During the gathering John Wallace the president of the university brought out three students who were graduating that year and told us that for the next two years after graduation they were going to serve the poorest of the poor in India. These three students thought that they were just going to be kind of commissioned and prayed for and sent off with a blessing, which they were, but something happened that they did not know was coming. John turned to them and said, "I have a piece of news for you. There's somebody you don't know, an anonymous donor, who was so moved by what you're doing that he has given this a gift to the university in your name on your behalf." John turned to the first student and said, "You are forgiven, your student debt of $105,000. The kid immediately starts to cry. John then turns to the next student, you're forgiven your debt of $70,000. He then turns to the third student, you are forgiven your debt of $130,000. All three students had no idea this was coming. They were just ambushed by grace. Blown away that somebody they don't even know would pay their debt and the entire room at that point were just weeping like all of us would be if we were there. What did these students do to pay down their debt? They did nothing. They simply were receiving the grace given to them by someone else. Friends, that's the new covenant. That's how it works. We were brought into relationship to God of receiving the grace of what was done by Jesus Christ on our behalf. And friends, Jesus and his Father, their union, because this is the trinity we're speaking of, this is Jesus who is also the Word made flesh, who is also at the beginning with God. They were in perfect union forever and ever as one but three. Their relationship can never be broken. So friends, if you were in Christ, that is now said of your relationship with God. It can never be broken, but friends, there's more. There's more to the story. And follow with me here. Hope you're are you guys awake. You good? We're ready. Okay, follow me here because this is where uh, the good news is even just even bigger than just that. There's so much more. Even with the good news, if that's not enough, you know, for all the history here, God has been trying to be in relationship with His people. Right? He's been trying to get his place and make his place here on earth with us. His presence, wherever God is found, right, he wants to be with us. And where God is found, we can use the word heaven, I think, in contemporary kind of, you know, in our Christian minds. When we think of God's place, we usually think of heaven, and that's a, that's a great way to think about it. At the very beginning, that's where God was with his people in Eden. That's where he wanted to be, right? And things were perfect. They were glorious. It was paradise. It was a garden. It was splendid. It was wonderful. But we were the ones that broke that, that rebelled against him. And that was where the division came of our sin. And that's what brought death into the world, something God did not bring. He brought life, yet we brought death. Now, this tabernacle was like, supposed to be kind of like Eden 2.0. God is back. He's here again. His presence is back on this earth. And he's trying to get what was in heaven and make a little copy of that on earth. He's still trying to get his place and bring it together here in this place. But we just talked about, right? That place wasn't perfect. It was just a copy of what really was there. And I say it often, but it bears repeating. When Jesus died, he was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. Now what descended was the very Spirit of God. Where God's place wasn't just wrapped up in a geographical location, in a temple or a tabernacle. The Spirit of God descended and began filling all of God's people. From the least of them to the greatest, they shall all know me, declares the Lord. His place began being found in his people for all who place their faith and trust in Christ. And this new covenant then would not be written down in words, it wouldn't be an external kind of thing we have to read and say I have to obey, obey, obey. But rather his spirit will be getting all those laws of who God is, all of his vision for our life and how to live and how to bring glory to him and how to live as one of his sons and daughters. And he would be imprinting this on our hearts through his spirit. And this writing of God's work um, his word on our hearts is not something that's like the matrix. If you remember the matrix, when he was like fighting um, uh, Morpheus, was it Morpheus? I, yeah. Neo was fighting Morpheus and he was like getting downloaded into his brain, like how to do jujitsu or Kung Fu. He's like, I know Kung Fu now. Cause they were like, I know how to do Kung Fu. Like that's not how this works in the new covenant. God didn't just like, I believe in Jesus. Bzz, okay. I know it. I got it all. He just downloaded it all to me. Like, I'm good. Like, no, this is a, a lifelong process of him continually pouring who he is into our hearts so we may be continually growing and growing and growing into his likeness and our relationship with him. But here's the fascinating nature of all of this. God's spirit came down from heaven, and Jesus, where is he at right now? He's in the real thing in heaven right now, serving on our behalf. And this is where I love, man, like... The work that Jesus is doing in heaven, his serving in this heavenly tabernacle, it is making a difference in your life as you sit down even right now. Like heaven's not this far off place that we get to um, only when we die. Like, yes, that will be the case, but there's there's a connection even right now of God's place in heaven and kind of like also here within us and his work in heaven is still actually impacting your life right now, is God, he can say this way, he's trying to allow heaven to invade even your own heart right now through Christ's work in the real tabernacle. Are you guys tracking with this? There's a bunch of verses that kind of express this, this interesting idea of like heaven now. Like, heaven available now. God's place available now. The work that God is doing in heaven is available to you even now. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, "...the Spirit who is within us as followers of Jesus himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ." provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Jesus is mediating on our behalf in the heavenly tabernacle. The Spirit of God is continually bearing witness to say that's real. He's really there for you right now. He's interceding. You are his child. Heaven connected to our reality through the Spirit's work. Are you doubting that this morning? Do you struggle with that like? am I really a child of God? Like, where I've come from in life. What's going on right now? I have all these doubts. I have all these fears. Like my faith sometimes, if I'm just brutally honest, sometimes it can be really shaky. Do You, you struggle with this, right? And Paul the Spirit can bear witness right now. You are his child if your faith is in him. Right? When Billy screws up, And he struggles in his faith. The cross still stands as a place where his gaze is to be directed towards, to find cleansing and to find forgiveness. And that's not even the end of it because now Jesus is serving in the true tabernacle in heaven, interceding for Billy, speaking with with him even now through his Holy Spirit, God inside of us. Jesus is at work even now on our behalf. Part of the problem with our lives today, our sin in our life, is that we're offered access to what's available in heaven even if it's you know somewhat veiled and not perfect we know that the joys of heaven are available for us do you know this the joys of heaven are available for us the wonders of God's glory and his presence is available to us yet you and I are often content with the cheapness of life on earth as if what life is here is kind of all there is You know, um, back in the day, I lived in Staten Island for a bit. I would travel to Manhattan where, um, you know, the street sellers, I don't know if they're still there, but they would sell, like, bootleg DVDs and, like, you know, watches that says Rolex, but there's two L's, you know? And they're, like, five bucks. And they were the best gifts to give at, like, birthdays or, like, Christmas white elephant parties. Like, I have a Rolex. The, said the person I did this one year and Rolex was spelled with two L's it cost like 10 bucks and it was hilarious you know or like the DVD copies of the bootleg you know cancorder in the movie theaters where people getting up and walking across so you hear sneezing and stuff and people eating popcorn But you're like you know like we don't we don't we don't watch those bootleg DVDs and be like oh this is this is fine I don't need to see the real thing like I don't need the real Rolex I have the roll dash X on my wrist right now right Sometimes I think that's like how we treat this earth, you know? Like it's the, the joys that it offers or the, the, the pleasures that it gives is like the real thing. And we're really like what C.S. Lewis said, the, the very joys of heaven is offered to us, yet we often find ourselves sitting in a, in a pile of mud making mud pies, thinking this is fine. And God's thinking, no, you're, you, you're missing what I'm offering you. The new covenant work in Christ by his Spirit is bringing... God's very presence, the reality of heaven, into our lives now. And so this spiritual connection that we have with Christ, Paul continually points us towards it. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on this earth, For when Christ died, you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying as you're alive today, this whole new covenant relationship is between God and Christ that we're sharing in by his grace, and he's saying keep your, as your feet are planted on earth, learn how to get one foot kind of in heaven, if you will, while you're here on earth. And enjoy the benefits and pleasures of relationship with God here while you're on this earth. Paul continues on in a different passage and then we'll wrap up here in a moment. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. For we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, which Paul is speaking of, is persecution, great suffering he was experiencing. Maybe that's some of you in this room right now that brought that here. Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As we look to the things that are unseen now, what we often call the spiritual realm, you think of, you know, I don't know, heaven is this like floaty place. It's all white with clouds and everybody's kind of like floating around and it's like off that we have to like travel kind of to. You know, Paul doesn't talk about it like that. He's saying there's... The realities of that is unseen, it's spiritual, yes, but it's interacting with our life right now that our gaze and our hearts, devotion and attention can be set on it now. And what happens is that when Paul is in suffering, He can say this suffering is now being transformed because my eyes are on heaven. My eyes are understanding the eternal final goal of all things. And so rather than wallowing in my suffering, I'm enjoying this this new relationship with God because of Christ where I can say this is nothing compared to what is coming. I can persevere now because I know what is coming. I'm getting the fullness of God in that day when he returns. And that is what my eyes are set on. Friends, that's how we can talk about this new covenant. So guys, don't take things like food or drink or any kind of pleasures in this world as the final word. These things are all just mere kind of copies of the joy and bliss that is awaiting us that even, dare I say, is available to you now through God's Spirit, that those things can become compasses. Things that we be received with thanksgiving, as the scriptures say. All things can be received with thanksgiving because we recognize, oh, this is from God. This is on the end to itself, but rather something I can then look to God and say, thank you, Lord. And this is kind of the work of Christ as he is in the real tabernacle that is helping us to live in this way. So this whole portion ends by verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. I'm gonna call our worship team up at this point and um, we have our prayer team that will be coming up here. The call is that final verse says, and I'm gonna call this out to you guys, all right? Is anybody still living in numerous ways? Number one, if you're still living as if that old covenant is here and you have insecurities of your relationship with God, if your sin has brought those insecurities, look to the cross this morning. Get rid of those insecurities, friends. Just like get rid of those things. The cross has paid for them all. You're in something entirely new. Embrace this this new relationship with God available to us in Christ. For any of you who may just be bringing their addictions or bringing their struggles or weaknesses or things that you just feel stuck in in this world, that I pray that you can just release these things over and that Jesus can be so real to you that he indeed is better than any of these things. Lord, I want to pray for everybody in this room right now, Lord. Would you deliver those in this room who had those secret sins? Secret, they think is secret, but Lord, it is exposed to you. Or that you weep over, that you know that you can bring healing to. Lord, would you bring your healing touch this morning through your spirit? Jesus, even now you are interceding and working on our behalf before God the Father. Lord, you are, you are ushering to bring in the realities of that relationship that you have with Him. all the joy that is offered between you and your Father. You are sharing with us through your Spirit. I pray for the joyless this morning, that they may receive joy. I pray for those who are mourning, that they may be comforted. Lord, for the weak, that they may be made strong this morning. Holy Spirit, would you work in such a way as we um, uh, close in our time today. And we pray this in your name. Amen.